it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and we had a good one in store. It's Wednesday, which, of course, means coming up in about an hour. We'll have our uh, two-hour political roundtable known as Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars, Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left, Longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right. And they'll be joined by uh, author of Twilight of Empire, W.H. Wise Carver. Bill's been on the uh, show before, and uh, we're looking forward to having him back at the round table. Now, one of the things I was looking forward to this morning was to continue with my uh, interviews with the Republican candidates for Michigan governor. And uh, that went a little bit awry for me late last night. Um, I started last week. We had uh, Ryan Kelly was uh, the first of ten that I've been in the process of scheduling. And I had scheduled for this morning Mike Brown, former uh, Michigan State Police uh, Captain Mike Brown, who... uh, was among a group that early this week um, one of the election committees I I can't remember exactly which one well maybe I can if I look in my in my notes that's the reason I have notes Um, let's see Well, the final decision is being made tomorrow by the Board of State canvassers, but uh, there was a um, a committee, and I'm trying to find the uh, name of... um, Oh, uh, a report on Monday from the Bureau of Elections may impact the GOP race for governor and and might become a little bit silly as elections um, in Michigan often do maybe a little more frequently in Flint but basically what it what it says is that five of the ten candidates from the GOP for the nomination in August to run for Michigan governor didn't have enough signatures or enough valid signatures on their petitions now this is uh, kind of interesting because, um, well, Mike Brown, who was scheduled to be on the show this morning, um, as a result of this report and some pending decision tomorrow by the Board of Canvassers, 
has gone ahead and withdrawn from the race. He dropped out of the race last night and sent me a nice email um, saying that, you know, he couldn't make the interview this morning, but that he would be happy to set up uh, an interview in the near future to talk about uh, the the race and the, the, as he called it, petition debacle. Um, and I'll read... Uh, just a little bit from his his statement this is the statement that he sent out yesterday um, captain michael brown has decided to immediately withdraw from the governor's race he has informed his family friends and tireless campaign staff and will be contacting all his great supporters he said uh, it appears that after my campaign signature gathering was complete individuals independently contracted for a portion of our signature gathering and validation jumped onto other campaigns and went on a money grab they were involved in allegedly fraudulent signature gathering activities with these campaigns causing the Michigan Bureau of Elections to to declare all of the signatures connected to those individuals as invalid. I cannot and will not be associated with this activity. We built this campaign on common sense conservative principles with a positive message of prosperity, safety, and respect for all the citizens of Michigan. Uh, the countless hours, miles, conversations, and tireless effort will not be in vain as I continue to fight for the future of Michigan. I have made many tough decisions for the right reasons over my life. This is a painful but necessary decision I make decisively because that's what the citizens deserve. During my years in the Marine Corps and 34 years in the Michigan State Police, each assignment has been about serving the citizens. I will exit the race for Michigan's governor with my integrity and this principle intact. Thank you, Michigan. Those were uh, the words from Michael Brown, who dropped out of the uh, race for governor and <laughs> dropped out of his interview with me this morning. However, I have something to fill in. And next week, uh, of course, will we'll be the first Wednesday in uh, June, and I'll be joined by economists, Chris Douglas, but then the, mon the uh, Wednesday after that, we'll go back to talking to uh, GOP candidates for Michigan governor. Um, in the meantime, I had a conversation uh, this week with a uh, candidate for governor, but not in Michigan, in Minnesota, in fact, and he's running on uh, uh, as a member of the party that... Uh, that got um, Jesse Ventura elected governor in Minnesota a few years ago. And um, we're going to talk about that party, but also an interesting idea he has for a uh, kind of a, a constituent jury. And he'll, a, a jury democracy is what he's calling it. Anyway, we're going to talk with uh, Hugh McTavish, governor for, uh, or, uh, candidate for Minnesota governor straight ahead. Hey, welcome back everybody. This is the Tom Sumner program and my uh, my guest this hour just recently um, entered the Minnesota governor race 
with an innovative proposal, and we're going to talk about that with uh, Minnesota gubernatorial candidate Hugh McTavish, who joins me by phone. Hugh, good morning, and welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you for having me, Tom. Good morning. Um, Hugh, your background is uh, as a biochemist and immunologist, um, and and I have to ask, do your friends and family and colleagues think you're a little bit crazy to run for office? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I don't think, no, I haven't, uh, haven't, I've felt sometimes maybe I'm crazy to do it, no, but I haven't heard, <laughs> heard that from, uh, from my friends. I'm trying to have, trying to have fun with it this, the next, uh, the next six months, uh, uh, but I'm sure I'll be relieved when it's over with. Well, it says you're running with the Independence Alliance. What is that exactly? It's the successor to the Independence Party, which was the party that Jesse Ventura uh, won with in uh, 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 to won the governor's race in Minnesota with. So it's, um, it's a, I think it's a party that that strives to give a third choice to. Uh, to voters, an additional choice that has the view that um, neither the Republicans or Democrats are too great or represent all of us. And uh, I think they're pretty open to viewpoints, but it's basically, I would say, a fiscally conservative, socially liberal party. So it's it's um, libertarian-ish. Um. I'm liber. I don't know if the party is per se. I am. I've got libertarian leanings. I guess. Um, well, let me let, let me let me ask this: um, How does it work then um, procedurally? Do you do you have a primary? Do you go right straight to the general election? Are you on the ballot? Uh, how do you get on the ballot? They had a. Um, uh, executive committee uh, that uh, endorsed me and then a party convention uh, where I was nominated for governor and because it's it's now a minor party it used to be a major have major party status in Minnesota it's now a minor party and so that means I need to get 2,000 signatures uh, petition signatures to get on the ballot, uh, and the signatures have to come basically in the next two weeks. We have to submit them to the Secretary of State on May 31st, <clears throat> and you can't start collecting until now or a couple of days ago. Um, so, so that anyway, but once once we get the 2,000 signatures, there's no primary, then I'll be on the ballot in November. Okay. Um, so, um, now we get to talk about the jury democracy which I think sounds like a tremendous idea, and we have a candidate for governor uh, in, in Michigan, my home state, um, that is proposing something similar but not as large. Can you explain um, your version of the jury democracy, what it is and how it works? Um, the idea would be to call a statistically valid sample of the entire, of all citizens or all registered voters, uh, which would be 500, um, 500 or more, basically. Uh, call them to the state capitol, St. Paul. Uh, have them listen to the arguments for and against a particular uh, bill that has been passed the legislature, uh, passed the elected legislature, and um, 
both sides or all sides on that issue will have the opportunity to present their arguments and evidence, uh, just like in a civil or criminal trial. Both sides get the chance to present their evidence and arguments. And then the jury deliberates. Uh, uh, they have a chance to read the bill. They're given the time, really, the obligation to, to read the bill in full. And then deliberate, break into smaller groups of 12 um, and deliberate, argue with each other, explain to each other how, how whatever the bill is affects you with your, or would affect you with the life experiences you've had. And, and one of the beauties of this is that uh, we'll have people from all over the state, all ages, all ethnicities, uh, different life experiences, and I think when you deliberate with people with the different life experiences, you're likely to learn something. Um, Agreed. And uh, and the candidate that I was talking about in Michigan, his um, idea is similar, only he's talking about a uh, a citizen's council of about 12 people that would meet regularly as <laughs> issues come up. This sounds almost like creating an additional legislature. Yeah, I would make it a, an additional house of the legislature, the, and and um, and people would serve for just one bill or proposal, just like they serve for just one case on a civil or criminal trial. <clears throat> uh, in most cases, I think you can get all the evidence and arguments for the bill in in a day. So most in most cases, the jurors probably are serving for a day or two. Um, and uh, yeah, I would require a fifty-five percent vote in to fa- in pass um, in favor to pass it, uh, rather than fifty-one percent. In part, that's deference to the status quo. If there's not a decent consensus for changing the law, then I think we shouldn't change the law. And in part, um, it's outside the status, outside the margin of error. With four hundred people, you've got a margin of error of plus or minus five percent from what you would. Get if you had if you could impanel every or ask the same question and impanel every person in the state every uh, every registered voter in the state. <clears throat> uh, but Hugh, I have to, I have to ask, and I don't mean to be facetious about this, but isn't that essentially what the the two houses the the legislature um, in the state capital is is elected to do? Isn't that what they're supposed to do it is it is what they're elected to do and the reason i contend that the the ideal form of government would be um to make decisions for all of us to be involved in making decisions all of us to participate in that decision all of us to get the chance to make our arguments for it and um uh and everybody to have a vote and that's that's basically what you do in what we do in our families to an extent uh and what what um, small so very small societies like hunter gatherer societies with two hundred or fewer people that's kind of that's what they they do for the most part everybody convenes and talks about whatever decision they need to make um, we can't do that with societies in the millions but with the with the jury democracy with a, a statistically valid sample you get the same result you would get if you did that with the societies in the millions. So I think up to now we've elected a legislature on the premise, basically, that we don't have, each of us doesn't have time in our lives to make every decision. So we elect legislators to do it for us. 
More with Independence Alliance candidate for governor in Minnesota, Hugh McTavish, straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Jonah Pody. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? 
So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with Independence Alliance candidate for governor in Minnesota, Hugh McTavish, straight ahead. With jury democracy, we can get uh, we can get the same results, uh, and each of us doesn't have to spend time solves the same the time problem equally well or better, and it's a more re- representative sample. Um, uh, Who? The, the elected legislators legislators are you know they're they're older than the population they're far better educated than the population far more affluent than the population um, as, as a whole more male more white so on. Um, Who came with up with jury, this? Who came up with this idea, Hugh? Me, me. It's my idea. Um, did you consider when you were were crafting this and and coming up with how it would work? Did you consider the possibility of using technology or polling to to reach the same result? Yes, I I did. I think that it's. Uh, I think the the lot COVID lockdowns have shown us, if we didn't already know this, how important face to face interaction is. Uh, so I want people to interact face to face. We do that still with jury, juries on on. Um, uh, in jury trials, we don't we don't do the jury trials by Zoom. We have, we've forced them all to come to the courthouse, so we know they're actually paying attention and not asleep and not off in the other room watching watching the bold and the beautiful. Um, uh, so uh, so I think it's very important that we have face to face interaction. I think we, it's important we have interaction with people from other other parts of the state. So that so um, so I'd like everybody to gather in the Capitol. Uh, well, let me let me ask this: with, You're talking about getting together. Let's say it's 500 people, and that it's a good sampling, um, and they come and consider one issue. Yep. Then the next issue comes up, and you get a, a pretty good sampling. Isn't that likely to be a lot of the same 500 people? And how many times are they going to travel to the state's capital um, no, if it'll it's be, done it'll be issue by issue? It'll be a different different uh, pool every time. So five, with Minnesota, we've got um, three and a half million registered voters in Minnesota. And we're a mid-sized state. Um so if we had a jury of a thousand, it would take three thousand five hundred juries for everybody to have served once. Uh, and I would like everybody to serve. I don't want this to be a once in a lifetime experience. I would like people to serve once every four years, once every ten years. I think once a year is too much, but once every four years or, ten, or once every ten years, <clears throat> uh, so you so you know that it's legit you know that because you get called you don't have a conspiracy theory that oh they're they're just calling the people that don't think like i do uh well no it just seemed like if you get a pretty good sampling of the population 
when you went to do that sample again, it would pull up a lot of the same names. Is all I'm saying is I I don't know no, no, structurally all, all how you would screen out people who've done it before. Well, you could you could screen out people who've done it before. I mean, it's a tiny number. So if you select a thousand each time, you screen out those thousand people. We're still left with three point five million minus a thousand to choose from the next for the next jury. Or you could leave them in. It's pretty unlikely you're going to get selected twice in a in a narrow time frame. Um, but either way, it might be better to screen them out, uh, or at least um, uh, for a few years to screen them out, so they they don't get chosen again within a couple of years. And and what what infrastructure could you use for this? I mean, where would 500 people meet, and and how? Would yeah, their... you might need to new uh, build some new buildings. Um, uh, or a few buildings where you have the hearing, you have the evidence presented in, say, a courthouse, um, and uh, the jurors sit in different locations. Um, in I mean, I'm sure you could find. I'm sure you could find an auditorium or uh, a, a right, stadium right. or something that would hold that many people. But, but structurally, how would you? you know get their feedback how you know would they have i don't know yes no maybe oh i'm not i'm not envisioning the jurors have the right to ask questions because it is too many people have them lining up and asking questions of the presenters who are yeah. presenting the evidence yeah that's that's um, why i'm asking yeah yeah no i'm not envisioning they that they do get to ask questions uh um just as in civil and criminal trials, usually the jurors don't get to ask questions. The, the two sides just present their arguments, um, and it's uh, yeah, it's unfeasible. If we did it with twelve, then I'd say yeah, let them let them ask questions. But with five hundred, it, it's not feasible um, to have them ask asking questions. So so they just listen and read, and then talk. Break into smaller groups where they can talk amongst each other and and ask some questions of each other. Um, and then vote. And we're not in the smaller group. We're not looking for the, the deliberation would be a defined time, an hour or two probably. Um, and we're not looking for unanimity like we are in, in civil or criminal trials. We just talk for a little bit and then you vote in a majority rules, basically. Um, I want to ask you, and this is, uh, you know, I'm getting sidetracked a little bit here, but I do want to make sure and, and get in and talk about your recent book. Um, I mentioned you were a biochemist and immunologist. You're a Ph.D., and your recent book is called "Covid Lockdown Insanity." Um, yep. And and what what is it you think um, was insane about uh, about locking down for COVID, and how might you have managed it differently? Well, the subtitle of my book is The COVID Deaths It Prevented, The Depression and Suicides It Caused, What it, what We Should Have Done, and What It Shows We Could Do to Address Real Crises. So I, I, go at, I went at it uh, from a data standpoint saying, how, what's the evidence for how many COVID deaths the lockdowns prevented? And they didn't, it, it benefit harm analysis, not a dollars and cents benefit harm analysis, but in human terms, a benefit harm analysis. So the benefit of the lockdowns would be preventing COVID deaths. So how many COVID deaths did, did it prevent? The harms um, 
are rarely acknowledged, but the harms are kind of obvious to all of us. We destroyed education for our children and college students for two years. Um, we closed restaurants and uh, and small businesses, and in effect, took those businesses from people without their without compensation. Uh, we threw 16% of the workforce out of their jobs. Um, we denied people the right to go to church uh, by closing their churches and forbidding people from going to church, uh, totally abolishing the First Amendment to the Constitution um, uh, by executive decree without even a statute being passed. Uh, um, well, I was a little so amazed by... I, I went back when the, when the pandemic first started and people said, well, it'll just be a few months, you know, by fall, we'll have this all wrapped up and, and it'll be all done. I went back and looked at the uh, Spanish flu pandemic mm-hmm. from 1918 and was immediately struck by the fact that it dragged out for about three years. And the other thing that struck me in reading some of the notices and bulletins in uh, newspapers from various parts of the country the lockdown was essentially the same. Our reaction to COVID-19 was almost identical to the way officials reacted in 1918, a hundred years ago. I don't ago. believe that. I don't believe that's true. I don't think we did anything, really, anything to, to um, you know, I think. No, what happened? My understanding, the major, the major. <laughs> About, about as strong as the response got was to uh, have schools open the windows for better ventilation. In 1918, um, there were there were school closings, there were um, theaters closing, um, uh, various public meeting places. People were encouraged to stay indoors. There were some big super spreader events, especially at the end of World War One, as people celebrated returning troops and so on um people don't. Well, I don't i don't know that you know you really don't know when some something spreads but i, I didn't really answer your original question of no no the, no the, I, the, the book, point the i was trying to make is that we didn't learn very much from it and we're doing the same things now that we tried a hundred years ago and yeah. and to re-ask the question hugh had you been governor how might you have handled this quote public emergency differently or health emergency? I would have I would have had no mandatory restrictions at all. All the all the evidence indicates that the entire package of mandatory restrictions, uh, the best estimate of COVID deaths prevented by it is zero. There is no no correlation whatsoever between the level of COVID restrictions between states and nations and their COVID death rates per capita. No correlation whatsoever. Florida and California are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Florida is about the most open state in the Union. California was about the most closed state of the Union. They're also pretty similar states to each other, except Florida has an older population, and their, their COVID death rates are identical. Uh, Sweden was the one major nation in the world that did not do lockdowns, that had no, restri- no mandatory restrictions at all, essentially. Uh, Sweden has a lower COVID death rate than the United States and a lower COVID death rate than most of the nations in Europe. Um, now, I was talking to somebody who, who lives in Tokyo who was uh, pointing out that uh, 
Japan constitutionally cannot mandate shutdowns, quarantines, etc. And yet, people in Japan, when public health officials say that there's an issue, a, a disease, a, an outbreak of something, and that people should mask up and keep their distance, they voluntarily do it. Uh, yeah, well, Japan has a tradition of masking. The evidence is that masking makes no difference, but Asia does have a tradition of masking. Uh, Japan did not socially distance uh, much uh, from each other. They, were in, they, they maintained... They kept the subways running and kept people going to work in person. So people were still packed shoulder to shoulder in subways in Japan. Um, but uh, and, I guess uh, what I'm asking you is objection to that. But my my point my point is that the it didn't prevent really any COVID deaths according to all evidence. But I'm still it asking increase, as a professional as a professional Hugh. What would have? What would you have said to people? Yeah, and I, and I answered your question. I wouldn't have done any mandatory restrictions at all. The only thing that works significantly is, well, socially distancing three feet. There's no reason to be six feet from one another. Three feet is sufficient, Fair and enough. that's already our standard. That's already our standard social distance from one another. So that would not have been a change. Um, and uh, the masks make no difference. Mask mandates certainly make no difference. Uh, uh, washing your hands is the most, by far the most effective intervention, and hand sanitizer. And we kind of underemphasized that. The CDC has officially said masks are the best thing to prevent COVID, to prevent, best intervention to prevent COVID. That is absolute nonsense and, and totally contrary to the facts. The fact is hand washing is the, is the best intervention to, to prevent COVID. Mask wearing has little or no effect. Hand washing can have a huge effect. The WHO says hand washing is the best intervention to prevent spread of COVID. They are correct. And aside from uh, that bit of sanitation, um, you would recommend let it run its course? Uh, yeah, basically, yeah. I mean, we, you, we, that's what happened. We let it run its course. We, we thrashed about... Sometimes bad things happen in life, and the best thing to do is not make it worse. Uh, the serenity prayer is, um, uh, Lord, give me the courage to, um, uh, to uh, correct uh, change the what things I can. can. Change, change the things I can, sorry. Change the things I can. The serenity, the, 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 the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the wisdom to know the difference. COVID was something we could not change. We didn't have the wisdom or serenity to, to recognize that. The only thing we could do was urge people to wash their hands more and develop a vaccine. And so we, we, we did the developing a vaccine. The government actually, we could have had it released probably two months earlier than it was if the government was more relaxed in approving that. Um, but the, so developing a vaccine was uh, was the one thing was the thing we can do, and then washing your hands. Um, I think the thing. So those, that's really about it. That's all we can do about it. Do you think people would have been friendlier toward the uh, the various vaccines 
had there been less restrictions, less shutdowns on businesses and schools and so on? I suppose so. Mostly I think people would have been friendlier towards the vaccines if they hadn't been told they have a duty to get vaccinated and coerced into getting, mandated or coerced into getting vaccinated. You'll lose your job. You can't leave the country if you don't get vaccinated. Um, and that's that actually doesn't make sense either because vaccinated people are more, uh, vaccinated people still get infected. Uh, so they still spread the disease to others. And in fact, they're probably more likely to spread the disease to others than unvaccinated people because they get milder illness and therefore they're less likely to be confined at home and more likely to continue to go out in public because they don't know they're sick or they may suspect they're sick, but they don't want to home confine anyway. Um, so, uh, and the, the, we could not have had the, the huge peak we had with uh, the Omicron variant in January and the, lar- the larger peak we had in the fall of 2021 compared to the fall of 2020 which was basically the same strain in both cases, Uh, whereas in 2021, two-thirds of the population was vaccinated and one-third of the population, nobody was vaccinated in 2020, and yet we had the same number of cases. That that really, it's possible mathematically that could happen if vaccination reduced spread. It's more likely that vaccination increased spread. That fits with the data better. Which is not so. I'm not. I'm saying. I'm saying we should have not saying we sh- people shouldn't be vaccinated. I think they should have been vaccinated. I got. I got vaccinated. Um, the vaccines work, but I'm saying we shouldn't mandate people be vaccinated. You really shouldn't care whether other people are vaccinated, uh, and we shouldn't blame one another for being vaccinated or not. Get vaccinated to protect yourself. It's not to protect anybody else. It doesn't have any effect protecting anybody else. Okay, um, I, I, I didn't mean to spend quite that long on that, uh, Hugh, but thank you for indulging me. I want to get back to your uh, campaign for Minnesota governor and uh, the upcoming race and also um, this idea of the uh, jury democracy. Um, how would that be paid for? Would people come on their own dime? Uh, I would like to, you know, we'd need to have the legislature appropriate the funds for it. It wouldn't be a huge expense, but um, uh, I'd like to pay them. I think jurors are not even paid minimum wage. I think jurors currently... I was just thinking, I was thinking about travel expense and... and, uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. We would, I would think we would reimburse travel expense, uh, have a mileage expense for people living outside of the Twin Cities metro area if we all met in St. Paul. How, uh, Hugh, how likely yeah. is it that, that the legislature would support bringing other people in to check their work? Uh, well, that w- that's, um, it would be actually, I think it would be more fun to be a legislator in this system than in the current system. In the current system, Ninety percent of the legislators have no power unless you're the majority leader or the minority leader. You have basically no influence and no power. Uh, you just vote the way you're told, or you can vote against it, but you can't get your bills introduced. Uh, um, 
with my jury democracy system, I'd propose that every elected legislator has a right to introduce at least one bill to the jury per biennium. Uh, so to me, it'd be more fun to be a juror. Uh, and then I think you could get the jury also to, to raise the pay of legislators, which they're, they're hesitant to do that themselves. The jury, uh, legislators in Minnesota make nothing. They make like $10,000 a year or something. Um, uh, so you raise their pay, it'd be more fun. I think, I think, uh, I think it'd support it. I wouldn't, we... If we throw them out of a job, they won't support it. So I'd, I'd say we have to keep the existing number of representatives and senators. Um, but other than that, I think it's, uh, there's not much reason why they would oppose it. Well, Hugh, I, I can't believe how fast the time is going, but I, I'm not, I guess I'm not surprised because I've been looking forward to our conversation. I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you, your campaign for Minnesota governor, your recent book, Lockdown uh, Insanity, this proposal about uh, the jury democracy, um, and, and really your work, you past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? Yes. <clears throat> so my campaign website is mctavishformn.org. Uh, the four is the number four, uh, and then, of course, is the abbreviation for Minnesota. Um, so that's that's the main place to go. Um, I'm on uh, social media at, at McTavish for MN or at Hugh McTavish. Well, Hugh, thanks so much for spending this time with me. I, uh, I've, I've enjoyed the conversation. It's, um, it's important for people to roll up their sleeves and try and bring new ideas into the conversation, and you are certainly doing that. Um, thanks again, and keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tom. All right. Take care. Yeah, you know, my guest was uh, Hugh McTavish. He has just recently entered the Minnesota governor race with uh, an innovative jury democracy proposal. He is uh, a candidate with the uh, Independence Alliance Party in uh, Minnesota. He's a Ph.D. biochemist and immunologist. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. <laughs> comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. 
If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the lesson to rely on super bad, transmittable. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car. Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey. Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Lynn Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Lynn Community Schools. 
MTA Flint, Flint Comics and Entertainment, Hamity Complete Food Center, the Flint River Watershed Coalition, WH Weiscarver, the Genesee County Road Commission, Lone Museum Auto Fair, Thomas Appliance, the Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, Mark Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. A master of Native American humor is Brooks Hayes of Arkansas, special assistant to the president and former representative in Congress. Here is Mr. Hayes before the Pennsylvania Political Science and Public Administration Association. I always feel at home with the teachers of government, although I'm not an expert in this field, I am a practitioner. I'm not afraid of experts. I um, was sitting by uh, a couple in Washington at a dinner party one night when the man who had just met the lady said to her, and you're Mrs. Post? And she said, yes. Mrs. Emily Post? And she said, yes. Well, Mrs. Post, you're eating my salad. (laughs) And, uh... father was uh, himself a country school teacher, and in this connection, I think you'd be interested in what happened when he took the census in 1900, uh, asked an old man standing in front of his cabin in this uh, frontier country uh, his name. He said, I'm the enumerator, sir, and I need some information. What is your name? He said, Hearn, Randall J. Hearn. Father said, how do you spell it? Spell it yourself, stranger. I'm a non-scholar. <laughs> so, uh, uh, this, um, uh, this character, Randall J. Hearn, is not a fictional character. He is not legendary, as some members of Congress believe, because sometimes I would quote him in the Foreign Affairs Committee, and occasionally my chairman, Mr. Richards of South Carolina, would turn to me and say, what would Randall Hearn's opinion be on this proposition? And I knew he meant by that, what would, uh, what would the man at the grassroots think? What uh, would the non-scholar have to say about this problem? One of my Republican friends complained over the method adopted by the Democrats in a certain reapportioning problem. And uh, he was rather violent about it. He said, you Democrats are just not fair. Well, I said, looking at some of the things the Republicans do, I would say, you remind me of the country boys playing cards down in Arkansas. He looked over at his friend. He said, play it. He said, play the cards fair, Reuben. I know what I dealt you. <laughs> Sometimes it is possible for a politician 
to extricate himself from political pressures, as uh, Claude Swanson said with his famous five rules, uh, the first rule being, when in doubt, do right. You might be interested, incidentally, in those other four rules. I believe I can recall them. He said, uh, first, never buy your ticket till you hear the train whistle. Uh, Second, always be strong for something nobody can be against. Uh, Then the third one I've indicated. Fourth, never use one word if five will do. Finally, always stick to your party. If the storm comes and uh, the vessel threatens to sink, move the ballast and try to save her. But if she sinks, follow the rats. (laughs) (laughs) I rejoice in the trend these days, seeing an academician often leave his cloisters to enter the political arena. That's good. And uh, I think of some very notable careers that have come out of that response that you uh, sometimes make to the, the lure that is always present. But the little lady in England was asked, you know, who did you vote for? And she said, vote? Oh, I never vote. It only encourages them. <laughs> Because you believe in, uh, in precision and in uh, a scientific evaluation of party positions, you do not agree with the little lady who said when she was asked about the difference between the Tories and the liberals, oh, she said the only difference is that the Tories think they're better born and the liberals just know they're born better. <laughs> And I think the book could be written on what the sweet little ladies in England say about politics, uh, or even in uh, in Arkansas, because you may have heard the story of uh, the little lady who was voting for the first time when women were given suffrage, and she rode to the polls with her son, who could see she was quite agitated over the prospect of participating in this great experiment in government, government by consent of the governed, and that she went in to vote that attitude of eagerness and anticipation was registered on her countenance. But when she came out and got in the car, it was obvious that she was disappointed and she was very solemn and grave. And as uh, they went home, he said, Mother, who did you vote for? She said, Son, I'll tell you. I looked at the ballot and there were the names of such good men listed for these offices, such good men, um, such uh, fine, noble people. I just didn't have it in my heart to vote against any of them. I just wrote at the bottom of the ballot, God bless you all. (laughs) This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Had 
Sunshine Radio For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner Show Oh yeah. You pilots get off of my lawn We're trying to do a radio show down here It's a Tom Sumner program Don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here.